It is good to be here. It's been almost two years, which is two years, uh, two years too long to not, not be with you all. So we are thankful to be here and hopefully we'll be able to be back again sooner than later. Uh, variants aside, it is uh, important for us to, to maintain our connections with each other. So again, we are all thankful to, to be here. I'd like to begin this morning with a reading um, about the Holy Spirit. That will be the focus for the, the bulk of this morning. Um, this started a few Sundays ago when we were having our lesson on the Holy Spirit, as we're going through the kind of the, the basics, if you want to look at it that way, of, of Christian faith. We talked about prayer today. We, we talked about the Holy Spirit earlier uh, in, in the study series. And while these things are, are basic concepts in a way, we certainly realize there is much more that we have to, to learn about prayer and, and the Holy Spirit and many other concepts and a, a deeper knowledge through our experiences that, that is still waiting for us. I'd like to begin in Genesis chapter 1. With just the first two verses, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved from upon the face of the waters. So even at the the very beginning, and even really before the beginning, the Holy Spirit was there as part of God and, and part of the Trinity. So let's keep that in, in mind as we, we go through other parts of Scripture. And that the, the Holy Spirit, though we sometimes think of him as a, a New Testament person, or a New Testament part of the Godhead, certainly is, is not limited to what happened in the New Testament forward. So let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. We'll read the first 13 verses of 1 Samuel 16. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee, and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves, and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. 
Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for he will not, we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look on. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And so Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. And we read through verse 13, First uh, Samuel chapter 16. Uh, before we go farther, let's, let's bow to the Lord and, and pray for our, our service today. Lord God, we are thankful for the words that we have available to us. We're thankful for the, the message that is woven into those words. The message that your Holy Spirit is able to, to untwine for us and, and to, to weave into our hearts. Help us now, Lord, to have open hearts and, and open minds to your message. Lord, to put distractions aside and concerns aside. And to have this, this quiet time with you now and, and uninterrupted fellowship with you. Lord, we ask that you would help us to, to know your truth and to defend that truth and to live by that truth. And we thank you for, for your son that has shed his, his blood for us and the purification of that blood which allows us to, to have your Holy Spirit living in us. And so we ask that that spirit would now instruct us and correct us and guide us. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So at this point in, in Israel's history was a, a bit of a difficult time. The, the first king that was established by God was turning away from God. And Samuel, who was the, the prophet and a, a judge for the people who had established Saul as the king, saw that he no longer was going to fulfill the, the duties that were once established for him as the king. In the beginning of this chapter, we see that, that Samuel is, is distraught by that. And God asks him, how, how long will you mourn for, for this man that is no longer to be the king? Go, go forward, and I will, I will show you who, who I have in store for you to be the next king. And Samuel went, as, as instructed, to Bethlehem. And he went to Jesse, as, as God indicated that he should. And Jesse had many sons. And Samuel was on the mission, too, to go and, and find the son that would be the king. In verse 6, they started with Eliab. And he said, surely this is, is who will be the king. He's the oldest of the sons. He's the, the one that looks like a king. He's regal. He's royal. He's, he's tall and broad-shouldered and, and has, has the right face you would see to, have, um, to wear the crown. 
know, just as Saul was, I, I believe, a head taller than those around him and, and had this presence of a king, so too did this man. But God said, I have refused him. Don't look at his face. Don't look at his height or his stature. And he said, because I, the Lord, do not see as you see, do not see as man sees. You, you are looking at the outward appearance of this son. You are looking at, at how he appears. If he fits the mold, if he fits the image for, for a coin or not. But God says, I, I, I look at the heart. And so for whatever reason, this, this man who had the appearance of a king did not have the heart of a king. And that's something that we, we all need to hear and we all need to be reminded of, is, is the, the views we have of other people based on their appearance, or even the views we have of ourselves based on, on our appearance or, or how we, we perceive ourselves. That part is irrelevant if you're not thinking about the person's heart or, or your own heart. From Eliab, they went to the next son, and the next son and the next son went, went through this whole, whole um, parade of, of sons, and each time God said, no, this, this is not the one. And so that when there were no other, no other sons left in the room, Samuel said to Jesse in verse 11, are there any more children? Where, are there any other sons you have? And he said, yes, there's one. He's... He's out in the fields. He's keeping the sheep. And Samuel, Samuel said to Jesse, come, bring that, bring that boy to us. And at this point, it's not entirely clear, but David may have been somewhere between 10 to 15 years old. So not, not that old at all. And certainly being out in the, the pastures with the sheep, I'm assuming did not have the appearance that one would think a king would have. In verse 12, it says, And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And it says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So as this young boy of 10, 11, 12, maybe 15 years old, from that day forward, the, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and was with him. And while Samuel may not have, have seen the, the potential in this boy, God certainly did. And God saw the worth in this little boy. God saw his heart. Now let's go back from present day to 1911. There was a girl by the name of Betty Robinson Schwartz. She was born on August 23rd, 1911 in Riverside, Illinois. She did not think of herself um, much of, or as much of a runner, or being very fast necessarily, but one day she was trying to catch a train, and she actually caught up with it. She ran fast enough to be able to, to get to this train that she had missed. And one of her, her teachers, I believe a high school teacher, was on that train and was amazed to see that she caught up with it and, and was able to, to get on the train. And so they started training, and in 1928, after only competing in, in four competitive races, she was 16, 
went to the Olympics in Amsterdam and won the 100-meter dash. She broke the world record and got the gold medal. And she came, came back as a, the surprise hero. She was called the, the fastest woman in the world. But in 1931, just a few years later, she and her cousin were in a small plane, and the plane crashed outside of Chicago, I believe. And individuals came to the wreckage to, to see what could be done, and they found her body and took her body, put it in the trunk of a car, and drove her off to the mortician to prepare her for her funeral. And when they got there and, and began to look at the body, they realized she was still alive. She was not conscious, but she was still alive. So they brought her then, luckily, from the, the funeral home to a hospital, and they were able to save her life. The doctors and nurses, though, saw how grave her situation was. And so they said, well, she is alive now. She probably won't survive. But she did survive and, and became a little bit stronger and said, well, she, she survived, but certainly she won't uh, walk again. And after a while, she became stronger and through determination began to walk again. Surely she wouldn't be able to run again. She, as we all know, was a famous Olympic medalist at that point, but her, her racing days were over. And again, she, she fought through and persisted and was able to run again. She wasn't able to crouch down anymore to start off a race because of her, uh, her injuries, but she was still fast and was able to run. And so in 1936... This girl who was really tossed aside as, as dead, as, as not worth saving, as, as useless at that point, she was able to run again and win another gold medal in the relay race. She couldn't crouch anymore, but she could still run. So she passed the baton on and, and was part of the, the gold-winning team. And so that's a reminder for us as well. And for Samuel and David, you know, we, we have perceptions sometimes about the worth of someone or, or the worth of ourselves. But we need to be careful about the, the limitations that, that we place on ourselves and the limitations that we place on others. If we go back to verse 13 of, of 1 Samuel chapter 16, it, it, it again brings us back to the Holy Spirit. So it wasn't just the, the heart of David that made him worthy of, of being king, but the Holy Spirit that helped him throughout his days then to become a great king when he was, uh, was an adult. But this, this Holy Spirit, it's such, a, such an elusive part of the Trinity. You know, as many years as we've all talked about and, and experienced the Holy Spirit, it's still hard to articulate. It's still hard to, to explain what it's like to, to live with him and, and what it even means to, to follow the Spirit or, or to, to have discernment that is inspired by the Spirit. Let's turn to John chapter 16. This is when he introduces the, the Holy Spirit to his disciples. He was about to go back to, to heaven and no longer be on earth with the disciples in human form. 
And Jesus says in verse 1 of 16, These things have I spoken unto you, that you should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues, yea, the time cometh, that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me. So, so Christ is preparing the disciples for the, the difficulties and the persecutions that were coming. And these things will they do unto you, because they have, allowed, they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, ye may remember that I told you of them. So that this shouldn't be a surprise when this happens to you. And these things I said unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go my way to him, to God that sent me. And none of you askest me, whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Christ is trying to, to tell his disciples, you know, you are getting discouraged now and, and sad at the thought of me leaving you. But it's actually a good thing. I, I need to go away so the Holy Spirit can replace you. And I think sometimes we, we fall into that same line of thinking, or at least I know I do, of, oh, wouldn't it be just so much easier if, if Christ were still here in human form to, to hold me when I'm scared or to point out the way when I'm not sure of what my pathway should be. And the disciples experienced that. He calmed the storm for them. He, he healed before their eyes. He, he fed them with, with nothing. I mean, you know, he, he did all these amazing things, and so they had that privilege of, of being with God in the flesh. And yet Jesus is saying, no, it's, it's better for me to go so that this Holy Spirit will come, so that the, the Spirit of God and the Spirit of me as Christ will, will come to you. And that's what hit me in Bible class a few Sundays ago. You know, it's, it's wrong to think that way, of, of, of wishing I had someone tangible to tap me on the shoulder and point me in the way I should go or tell me when I'm doing something wrong. Because the disciples... They didn't always have Christ with them. He would go off and pray. He would be asleep in the boat. He, he would be other places. And, and they were completely lost without him and, and often unsure of, of anything to do or, or what to say until he came back and again set things straight for them. So now he's showing them and, and showing all of us that that pattern doesn't have to happen anymore. You, you can't just rely on me here in the flesh to live your lives. Persecution is coming, and I am going away, and that might terrify you right now. But this comforter that's even more intimate than I am will come and dwell inside of you. And so while it must have been an amazing thing to have Christ there as a person to talk to, how amazing is it for us to be able to say that we have a part of God living inside of us? Not temporarily, not, not when he's around, but all the time that we are the, the temple of the Holy Spirit, and it's dwelling inside of us. So he's a comfort also in verse 8. When he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not on me. So the Holy Spirit will illuminate sin of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. 
I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you in all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. So Christ is, is telling them many things, and as is often the case, the disciples really had no idea what he was talking about. Or at least just, just got a little bit of understanding and then through experience had that aha moment of what Christ was telling them. So Christ realized that he says, you know, I'm, I'm throwing a lot at you right now. There's a lot of information that you're trying to process. But, but just know that he, in verse 13, the spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. So I don't want this to seem like the, the Holy Spirit is somehow limited in that he won't speak of himself. That's not what Christ is saying. What, what Christ is saying is everything that you hear from the Holy Spirit is from God the Father. And so this Holy Spirit has the authority to speak to you as God. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. And all things that the Father hath are mine, therefore said I, that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. A little while, and, she, and ye shall not see me. And again a little while, ye shall see me, because I go to the Father. So Christ again is being a little confusing with his words, not to confuse, but to, to get us to, to look closer at what he's saying. So in 16, a little while, you won't see me anymore. He is about to be um, seized in the Garden of Gethsemane and go through his trial and then be crucified and, and resurrect and go up to heaven. So they will not see him for much longer. But in a little while ye shall see me, because I go to the Father. So he, he's saying that again, this Holy Spirit that is a part of me, it's the Spirit of, the, of God the Father, but also Jesus. So Jesus is going back to them, but again, to live in their hearts, to live within them, not to, to be this person beside them. Let's go back a little bit to, to the Spirit being the Spirit of truth. It's a very important distinction. It's not the spirit of righteousness. It's not the spirit of faith. It's not the, the spirit of joy, though these are all important concepts. It's the spirit of truth. Now, the reason this is so important is, is shown to us in John chapter 8, verse 44. Ye are of your father the devil. This is Christ confronting those that, that claim to be godly, but, but were not. And the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So we have this this counterpoint to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a spirit of truth. And then we have the, the devil who is the father of lies. And that sets the, the stage for the, the spiritual battle 
that these disciples are engaged in and, and that we are all engaged in that is still raging now, this, this battle between good and evil, between Jesus and Satan, between truth and lies, and ultimately between the, the spirit of truth living in us and the father of those lies. There are many lies now that, that are being propagated, and, and truth is such a difficult concept. But uh, it's interesting to think about this time period when, when Christ was, was on earth with his disciples. Truth wasn't so easily defined then either. What, what did Pilate say during the trial? What is truth? I mean, this was not a casual statement. This is something that was being grappled with at this time period as well. What do we believe? Who, who is true? Who is giving us the, the full story? And so here we are again in our modern culture, and, and we're grappling with, with truth, or if truth even, even exists. And so that, that's the first lie that Satan is working on with us, is there is no truth, so just establish whatever works best or feels best for you. Whatever emotional response you have will, will guide you on the path to truth. Another lie is, is the, the sins that we deal with maybe aren't so bad. And there are certainly other people that have much graver sins to deal with than we do. Or perhaps the other way, the lie that our, our sins are so great they, they can't be forgiven, or I, I can't forgive myself, or I, I can't let the guilt go. Perhaps that we are, are not worthy of being saved. Or that we, we can't trust ourselves and our, our discernment of, of what the Holy Spirit is showing us. And we talked about when, when do we stop praying if God gives us a no, or when do we know that God wants us to pray a little more in Bible class? You know, these are, these are questions that we grapple with. But ultimately, we're, we're just not e- equipped to properly share the gospel. These are, are all lies that the, the father of lies is using to trip us up. But if we turn to Ephesians chapter 6, we're reminded of something that is, is greater than these lies. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Paul is talking about the the armor of God, and and many different parts of of that armor are the the spiritual principles and, and the spiritual virtues that we should be exhibiting in our lives. But here we see that the sword is the sword of the Spirit. And the sword is is used to defend oneself from a weapon, but also to attack your opponent. And it's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So this is taking us to a, to a deeper level now of what, what the Holy Spirit is. It's this, this sword that we have, that we are given, the sword of truth that we are given to cut through the lies and to battle in these wars. But more so than that, it's also the word of God. So let's turn to Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful 
and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There is a lot in, in just this, this one verse. But it says the, the word of God, the, the spirit of truth, is quick, is, is alive, and, and powerful, and, and active. God, God didn't just send us a, a passive spirit as a replacement for Christ. No, he, he gave us this spirit of truth, which is alive and powerful, and it's sharp. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. So it's not just a, a sword to, to swing around in a battle, but this is, is sharper than what we are used to with the sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. So that's why this, this truth is, is an important weapon to, to swing properly. We just want to blindly hack around with our, our sort of truth because it is so sharp and it be, because it goes right through and divides soul from spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so there we go back, back to the heart when, when Samuel was looking at this, this little boy David. He wasn't looking at his heart and God had to instruct him and, and realize, okay, there is a heart of a king in this little boy. And so now here we see that this, this sort of truth cuts down right, right through everything in all of us and gets to our heart, so our, our thoughts and our, our intent. So what we're thinking and what we're, we're planning or perhaps what we're plotting, the truth gets through that. And so while we have this, this sword as a weapon against lies, to get through the, the misinformation and the half-truth and, and whatever it is that we're dealing with, it, it cuts through the issues and the headlines and gets right to the thoughts. But again, it's not just the thoughts and intents of the heart of, of those that we're battling against, but of ourselves. So just take, take a moment to, to think about the lies that, that perhaps you are, are confronted with. Lies about yourselves or, or lies about others, lies about how, lies about how our society should be or, or how people should act and, and what we should do. But also think about that spirit of truth that, that cuts through the lies, but also cuts through the, the deceptions that perhaps we, we are, are harboring about ourselves. I think that is, is such a critical thing for all of us to remember, both, both young and old, is that we get tripped up by the little things in life. Am I tall enough to be a king? Am I talented enough to, to have the responsibilities I'm given? Am I smart enough or attractive enough? Or, you know, whatever it is, all, all these things that we, we say are frivolous and not important, still in our hearts, we put a lot of value in them. 
But that, that spirit of truth needs to, to cut through that. And, and show you that, that your value and your worth, even if you you're appear to be a corpse in a, a, a plane wreck, that your value and worth is still in the, the truth that Christ has died for you. So we're all worth saving, even if we don't think that's the case. Christ died for us, and his, his blood has, has washed us clean, if we accept that blood. And that's allowed us to, to have God living inside of us. It doesn't matter what, what we think or, or don't think about ourselves. If we remember that truth, then we can be victorious in, in the battles that we are facing. I'd like to close with a few words that Christ had for his disciples back in chapter 16 of John. And so these things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. And we talk about peace a lot and peace treaties, and, and peace accords, and, and what it means to, to have peace, and what's necessary to, to establish and, and maintain peace in this world. But in the world you will have tribulations. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. The, the battles that we face, whether they are domestic or international or, or internal to our own souls and spirits. They're not a surprise to God. Jesus has already given us the assurance that if you, you have the spirit of God in you, and if you are properly using the, the sword of truth, The battle's already won. I've, I've already overcome these lies, already overcome the issues that, that you are dealing with. So we just need to, to participate in those battles with the assurance and, and with the knowledge that the battle's been won already. And so that's, that's the peace that, that we are longing for, not a, a time when there finally isn't any, any strife around us anymore or when, when the future is no longer unsure or, or dangerous. Because we, we've seen through history and know from prophecies still to come that that will never happen. It's a goal that we'll be waiting for to, to see forever. But it's the, the peace of knowing what Christ has said and, and the peace of, of knowing that those words are true. So as we go forward again, I, I, I just pray that, that we all can have that, that power. Again, not from ourselves or, or what we, we have within us on our own, but, but of God living within us. And it starts with accepting his son and, and repenting and being baptized. And then and going through a, a life of, of battles and trials and, and victories and failures and, and, and but ultimately 
that spirit of truth. So seek after that spirit of truth, even if it is hard to know or hard to be be sure. Christ guided the disciples, and he sent an even better guide to us as the Holy Spirit. And so seek after the Spirit, and, and you will have peace, and you will know truth.